Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We continue on with our look at the life of, of David here. And the last time we were back in 1 Samuel, we, we jumped ahead quite a few chapters here. But we were looking at, if you remember, we saw the, the range of emotions that David and his men went through when they returned to their home and they found, found it burned to the ground. All their belongings, all their family, all their stuff was gone. We saw them, they were distressed, they were saddened at the sight, as most of us would be. And of course, they pointed fingers, and all the fingers pointed to the leader, to David, and they wanted to kill him. However, they went into battle against the enemy after checking in with God. They were victorious over the enemy, they got all their stuff back, they were happy, they were celebrating. And then when they got back to the battle, back home from the battle, they didn't want to share the loot with the others. What a range of emotions we, we saw there. After the battle was over, Saul knows that he is finished. David's time to be king is soon upon them. And actually, as the close of 1 Samuel, in our, in our Bible, it's First and Second Samuel. The original Hebrew school, schools would have just been one long book of, of Samuel. But at the end of First Samuel, King Saul is killed. He's killed in a battle with the Philistines. But not only is Saul killed, so is his son, Jonathan. Remember, that was David's buddy. He's dead too. So some guy gets this great idea to go and tell David that King Saul is dead. And you know what? I'm the one that did it. So David listens to this man describe how the king was killed. And then David executes this man right on the spot. He just admitted to killing the king. All of Israel then mourned and fasted at the loss of their at the loss of their king, including David and his men. If you look at the end of First Samuel, the beginning of Second Samuel, they are mourning the loss of their king, especially David. Here's the, the man after God's own heart that has been running from the king for his for his life for several years now, and now he's mourning the loss of this man. And all of the nation, all of Israel was mourning the loss of their king. And that says something about the nation. The nation realized, hey, you know what, this, this guy may not have been the best guy, might have not have been the nicest guy to us, but this guy was put there by God. After this, there's a few chapters that it goes on in Second Samuel at the beginning that David is anointed king. Uh, if we remember way back uh, when Samuel went and anointed uh, David king the first time, it was in his hometown, uh, you know, it's the, uh, Bethlehem. He comes out of the field and, and Samuel anoints him king right then and there. That was in front of his family. And we see here in 2 Samuel, David is anointed king the second time over Judah. Remember, the, the kingdom is split between Judah and, and Israel. So David is anointed king over Judah couple more battles that continue on. And then he is finally anointed king over Israel. 
And when that occurs, he gets his first wife, Michael, back, and he gets the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. And we'd like to say once again, and everyone lived happily ever after. But as we see in our scripture this morning, that's not the case. Everyone sure is happy. David's in king. David, David's as king. Got Jerusalem. They're ready. God has been good to them. They're praising God. It's time to bring the ark of God home to Jerusalem, home to the city of David. They're singing, they're dancing, they're playing music. It's an awesome, victorious, celebration, worshipful time. But then, suddenly the ox stumbles. And this man by the name of Uzzah reached out and grabbed the ark of God to steady it. And God struck him dead, right then and there, on the spot. The party was over. No more singing. No more dancing. In fact, no more moving that ark. We're going to leave it right here in this guy's house, and he's going to have to deal with it. What a shock that would be. Here was a guy just trying to help out. And God struck him dead. And some of us have experienced that. Obviously not being struck dead. But we've tried to help out. And it backfires on us. But this is a time of worship. A time of celebration. A joyous event. And he probably, you know, you know, you see something falling, you don't think, you just react. And I'm sure that's what this guy Uzziah did. He didn't think about the ark. He just reached out. He saw it was starting to, to tip or something. He reached out and grabbed it. It's just a reaction. And God strikes him dead. What kind of God would do that? No doubt that's what everyone was thinking. It's like, wait a second. We're doing something good for God. We're doing Worship, we're, we're celebrating, we're praising him for, for being with us, and he strikes this guy dead? What kind of God is he? Well, I'll tell you, he's a holy one. He's a righteous one. See, way back in the book of Numbers, God goes into great detail about how the ark was to be moved. Now, to us, when we read through some of those, those Old Testament books, Numbers, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, even 1 Kings, 2 Kings, a lot of that stuff is, quite honestly, boring, to tell you the truth. It's just a bunch of stuff. You know, a lot of details about the ark. And if you're not into, you know, engineering and structural design, eh, there's not much to it. But God goes into great detail about this ark. And the Levites were to use poles and carry the ark. Only the Levites were, were to be around it. They were the ones that were to move it. And only with poles. There were like little rings on the end of it. And they stuck the poles through there. And they lifted it up. And the four or six guys or however many guys carried it. It wasn't to be put on a cart. It wasn't to be pulled by oxen. David 
and his men were directly disobeying God. Yeah, they were doing a good thing, taking the Ark of the Covenant of God to Jerusalem. Yeah, Uzziah just put his hand out to, to support it. But they were disobeying God. God said, no one is to touch that ark. Touch that ark. Only the Levites are to move it. Use the poles to lift it, move it, set it down. The penalty was death. If you touched the ark, you were going to die. So no matter how innocently it was done, it was a direct violation of God's law to touch the ark and was punishable by death. This rule just wasn't made up for God's fun to laugh at them, to say, oh yeah, how are you going to keep that thing clean? How are you going to move it? No, it wasn't for his own fun and amusement. It was simply a way of preserving the sense of God's holiness and the fear of drawing near to him without proper preparation. Think about it. How many times do you come to worship or to some church event, but, but mainly worship, and maybe you aren't prepared for it? Maybe you just go through the motions of it. And you know, that was, you know, I went to St. Francis, as I've said many times, and that was one of my, my disappointments. And that's always been one of my disappointments with the Catholic Church in particular. You know, you would see the people, you would see the students. Oh, you know, we got we got to go to mass. We got to go to mass. Okay, that's great. But you get in there, and they're just going through the motions of it. They just go through the rituals of it. They don't really prepare themselves. I'm not talking about everyone, but you can see it. I could see it. It was just a, you know, they just go through the motions of it. And after the mass was was over. Was done for. God was was done for the week. Back on the shelf, stay in the church, that's it. And it really, really struck me, I think I've told you this before, it really, really struck me on Ash Wednesday. They had a, a, a mass at like lunchtime. And uh, I guess it's a holy day of obligation for Catholics. And uh, everyone went to Mass, you know, most of the most of them were Catholic. They went to Mass and I mean, they're eating lunch. Not too many people in there. It was a nice lunch for me. And after after lunch, I could see everybody had the ash on their forehead. And I listened to some of the conversations and the language that was coming out of their mouth was unreal. Not only did they just come from a worship service, but they still had the mark of the cross on their head. And the language just astounded me. And that was my first year there. And it just... That's just never left me. I'm not picking on Catholics at all here. It happens in all the churches you can think of. I'm just saying that's what I saw. You know, you spend five years at a college, you see a lot of things. But it can happen to any of us. It can happen to any of us. And that's that's where we really need to think. Are we just going through the motions of the rituals? Are we doing what we want to do? Are we Or are we worshiping God? Are we preparing God? Preparing to worship God the way He wants us to worship Him. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. And we need to have that relationship 
on his terms, not ours. I'll give you another example that one of the things, again, I'm not picking on the Catholic Church by any means, but one of the things they do is they, they, they strongly encourage, you know, weekly attendance at Mass. As we do too, but, uh, some of the people that I know, at the end, most, most Catholic Masses are very, uh, very similar. Uh, at least the ones that I've been to, you know, around the United States actually. They're very similar. They're very, very orderly, very similar for the most part. At least the traditional ones. And at the end, they, they have communion and everyone kind of comes up and they, they take the, the bread and wine, kind of like we do. Um, although it's not typically kneeling at the altar, they just kind of walk up to the priest and, and they get the, the wafer and then they go to the, uh, the person holding the cup and then they go back to their seats. Well, I know some people that, to meet their obligation, at the end of the, the Mass, that's when they arrive, about ten minutes before Mass is over. They come in, take communion, sit down for the final song, and on the way out they shake the priest's hand so the priest knows they were there that week. Now, is that a relationship with God? Is that being a faithful Christian? Is that what God wants? No, absolutely not. In fact, I would argue that God would rather have them not come to church but have a personal relationship with God outside of the church rather than coming to church and doing something like that. And that's what we need to look at. Is our, what is our ritual? Are we just doing stuff because that's what we're supposed to do? Or are we doing it because that's what God wants us to do? And that's what we want to do. To please and serve God. And again, I'm not picking on the Catholics at all. After Uzziah is struck dead by God, David becomes very angry. At first, no doubt, he is mad at God for killing this, this guy. This guy was just helping out. Then David probably realizes that he was at fault. He didn't follow God's commands. So he was no doubt angry at himself. So David decides to leave the ark there for a little bit. Give God some, some time to cool off, so to speak. So the ark is placed in the home of a Levite, so he at least got that right. God blesses this house for the next three months. David figures, ah, God's wrath has subsided. Let's continue our journey to Jerusalem. This time, however, he follows God's plan. He follows the prescribed methods. In fact, after the first six steps, they sacrifice some animals and ox and things to God to show respect to God, to worship God, to show God that, okay, we're doing things your way. And then when they finally do get the ark through Jerusalem, David is so thrilled, the worship of God continues. He praises God. He dances for joy in the street. He makes an offering to God and he gives everybody some food. So what's in the story for us today? Well, I kind of already mentioned a few things. One, of course, is the fact that we need to prepare ourselves for God. Prepare ourselves before God. Especially when we come 
to worship him. But we need to prepare our lives to be obedient to him each and every day. And that's important. We're not doing what we do just to look good or to feel good. We do what we do because that's what God wants us to do. But I think really the main idea of this passage is that our God is a God of wrath and a God of blessing. Most people and most preachers talk about God's love for us all the time. Turn on television and you can hear that. But rarely do they mention His wrath. Rarely will you see one of these television evangelists talking about God's wrath. And if he, if, he, if he is talking about it, it's not going to be in relation to you. Meaning, well, God, yeah, in the Old Testament, he was, he was pretty rough. He was pretty mean to those guys, but he loves us today. He's nice to us. So don't worry about that. But you know what? The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. Sure, the Old Testament saints were under the under under the, the judgment, God's laws. Today we are indeed under God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. But you know, if you jump to the end of the book, if you jump to Revelation, we see God's wrath will be back. And God's holiness and God's goodness are most clearly displayed and revealed in the cross of Christ. God's holiness demanded the death of His Son for our sins. But His goodness and His love flowed out from the cross, offering us acceptance, forgiveness, and eternal life. That's significant. God's wrath was poured out on His Son so that we may come to Him. But at some point in time, God's wrath will be back and displayed and felt throughout the world. So let us truly worship and thank the God who saves us. Let's close with a prayer this morning. Lord, we thank You for being a God of wrath and a God of blessing. We sure do enjoy the many blessings that You have given to each and every one of us. However, we know that You would not and could not be a holy and righteous God without wrath upon those who reject You and disobey You. We ask that You continue to strengthen us through our journey in life. We ask for Your forgiveness when we wrong You by disobeying You. We pray that your will shall be done in and through us. Amen.